0: And welcome to episode five of Aesthetic Chat with Kiki. I'm your host Kiana Gamble, and I'm so excited to have this guest on. She is our first physician associate to come on the podcast. This is April Harrison. I want to start out by, you know, talking about your story and your journey um, into the aesthetic world.:
1: Okay, sure.) Um... So, let's see. I, I graduated PA school in 2000 and um, kind of always wanted to go into derm. I didn't really realize I wanted to go into aesthetics at that point, but um, dermatology was really appealing to me. So, um started looking for derm positions, which is really, really hard to come by. And, um, wound up working for an allergy group for about a year or so. And, you know, while it was good training after graduation, I really wanted to go more into, you know, skin and dermatology. And, um, so a friend of mine, a colleague of mine was working at MD Anderson and, and she told me that they were looking to hire a PA in their dermatology department. So I reached out to the the director over or the head of the department and um, just made contact with her. And she said, "Absolutely, we're looking, you know, to hire a PA, and we're going to train you and get you, you know, up to speed and all." Af- aspects of dermatology and I mean it's great because as a PA we're trained as more generalists and so I started there and at MD Anderson you probably know it's more of a a cancer institution and so um, a lot of what we focused on there was you know a lot of skin cancer um, graft versus host disease cutaneous reactions to chemotherapy um, and the, uh, I saw a lot of, um, cutaneous T cell lymphoma or mycosis fungoides and Sézary syndrome, which is a real, fortunately rare skin lymphoma. Um, so I did that for about three and a half years and worked alongside the residents. And since it's a teaching institution, um, you know, we learned a lot. So we would, me and the, the residents would, um, assess the patient, come up with, um, a diagnosis, order lab tests and, um, do biopsies, excisions if we needed to cultures, we would present the patient to the attending and then they would go in and, um, you know, confirm or tweak the diagnosis and the plan if needed. So I did that for quite a while, almost, almost four years. And, um, while I became more comfortable in it, I really had, as time was going on, more of a desire to go into aesthetics and, and more private practice where the patients weren't quite as complex. And, um, and, you know, with, with a cancer institution, there can be a lot of sad news and some um, people dying, even though in dermatology, you don't think of that, that being the case. But with a lot of these skin lymphomas and, um, leukemia and things like that. A lot of patients would ultimately pass on and, um, nice thing about dermatology is that in or private practice, general dermatology is it's more of a happy specialty. And, um, you know, a lot of the conditions are treatable or curable and, um, that just kind of fit more of my personality. So I, I contacted, uh, one of the dermatologists, a, a big cosmetic dermatology group here in Houston and met up with the, the practice owner. And um, so she was actually looking to hire a PA at that point as well. And so we were in talks for a while and she'd never had a PA before. And so we we're just trying to figure out how I'd fit into the practice. And um, that was almost 17 years ago. So I've been at the same practice for about 17 years. And initially... Oh, wow. Started doing um, kind of a mix of medical dermatology and cosmetic. Um, But as you know, as training and learning alongside of her, uh, I just realized I had more of an affinity for the cosmetic side. I still enjoyed medical, um, especially skin checks and acne, but I really, really liked doing aesthetics, you know, lasers and fillers and toxins and those things were really exciting to me. So as I continued to practice over, you know, months and years, my practice evolved to be purely cosmetic and uh, I never enrolled on the insurance plans um, because that process tends to take a little bit longer. But um, once we, you know, I'm fortunate in that my, my supervising physician was open to, you know, whatever would make, me happy in my practice. Um, she wasn't going to micromanage me. She just wanted me to do what made me happy. And so, um, cosmetic dermatology is kind of how everything evolved. And um, I would do some clinical research. We have a clinical trial um, arm to our practice as well. And we would do some clinical trials, or I would participate in those. Now I'm just purely cosmetic. Um, probably 90% of my practice is injectables. And the other ten percent is um, lasers and um, uh, energy-based devices. Started in cosmetic dermatology, I worked side by side with my dermatologist. So, you know, I, I served her for weeks on end and took notes. And then I started um, doing some of the procedures on employees and family members and friends. And then just kind of started branching out from there. So, you know, in that way I felt really comfortable because I knew I was doing things the way she taught me how to do it, the way I was trained. Um, so I really appreciated that, that oversight. I think it would be kind of scary to go out there and just be thrown out with no guidance or, um, training, uh, because, you really don't know what you don't know. You have to experience it before you realize, you know, what could be dangerous or what could go wrong in this situation.
0: You know what I mean? Right. For sure. I think it's the mentorship portion is really vital to be successful in this industry in a safe way. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, And I think now, especially with social media, there's, you know, there's so much training education now, where we are more knowledgeable on what we need to avoid what we need to look out for, you know, dangerous things. I'm thinking particularly with injectables, like fillers, vascular occlusions, and things like that, where, Mm -hmm. when I started, it was, I mean, honestly, we had collagen, we didn't even have hyaluronic acid filler when I was injecting. And so, you know, we knew that you could get um, a vascular occlusion with collagen or blindness. It was really, really rare. But then as HA fillers came out, um, you know, we found these things out as we were going, but it was more technique. You know, how can you fill in a nasolabial fold or how do you make, how do you fill lips? And that was really it. Nobody was doing tear troughs or temples or cheeks or draw lines or, you know, anything off the face. Um, so we kind of learned together, but it's, um, it's, it's interesting how this whole field has evolved over time where, you know, with social media and online training, we are more knowledgeable in, you know, how to be safer injectors and things to look out for, um, as we're working.
0: For sure. Do you have like, I guess, um, with, you know, today we have so many places that we can put filler and that people do put filler. Are there, um, some danger zones or some areas of the face that you're a completely a no-go you're never going to inject there you have, and you've never going to do it again.
1: Um,
0: let's see,
1: you know, I, I do pretty much inject everything <laughs> that I'm thinking about it. Like, you know, I do inject noses. Um, I injected noses in the beginning and then I stopped as more info came out with, you know, blindness and rates of occlusion. Right. And then I, I kind of stopped doing them for a while. And then, um, I over quarantine, I took a, an online course with Iod Harb and it was very extensive and very thorough. And honestly, I felt a hundred percent more confident in injecting with, Noses with his technique, so I think it's just about your comfort level and your training, and it's okay to say no. You know, it's it's fine to tell patients no if you're not comfortable, whether you're not comfortable yeah. from a danger uh, aspect or if you just don't think it's the right treatment for them. Um, but yeah, I treat noses, I treat foreheads, I do temples. Um, you know, pure form. I, I do it all. And I think a lot of that is because I was injecting, you know, again, back in the day before we realized these are potentially dangerous spots because we didn't really know the anatomy underneath. Again, it was more technique. And so, you know, we were treating noses and temples and, um, and foreheads. And, um, and so you have that comfort level. It's like, well, I've done this before. And then once you get that knowledge on top of it, you know, what I need to look out for, how to be safer, then you combine that together and then you can be safe or safer and get good results. But, um, you know, I tell injectors all the time, don't, don't push yourself. If you see something on social media, but you don't feel a hundred percent comfortable, you know, you should listen to your intuition. Don't do something that you're not comfortable with because that's usually when we get into trouble.
0: For sure. Um, so, I mean, talking about back then, do you think that, um, like looking back now, did you maybe have an occlusion at one point where you maybe didn't know what that was or, um, Mm, mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I think back and, um, I mean, I probably had a couple and I just didn't know. Um, I remember this one case I was injecting this patient's lip. It was her lower lip. And looking back, I'm sure I was submuscular just in how I used to inject versus now where I'm just so superficial. Um, I just remember one of her vessels. It was just like you clamped off a a water hose. It just started filling up backwards. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's so weird. And I just stopped and everything looked fine. There was no pallor. There was no blanching. Um, the skin looked okay, but again, this was a long time ago. We really didn't know the signs to look for back then. And I remember seeing her afterwards, and she said, "Yeah, it was a really bad bruise. It took a long time to heal." Um, and so, you know, in hindsight, you think, I mean, that was probably a venous occlusion. And, and fortunately, with the lip, mm-hmm. with all the collateral circulation, you know, we've got a lot of um, a bigger, better chance of, of surviving a VO in that case, but you know in hindsight you look back you're like oh wow that was that was probably a vascular occlusion yeah
0: yeah that's just so crazy how much the you know the industry has evolved um even talking to Melissa she says the things that you know they would do 10 years ago they would never do now so it's like <laughs> it's good that the mm-hmm. industry is evolving and you know we have a lot more education now right
1: right yeah i mean thankfully because i think we're getting better outcomes and we're better at recognizing, you know, an unfavorable outcome, um, you know, and our, our techniques too, like even with temples, do you do gunshot? Do you do superficial with the cannula? there's just so, so many different ways. And I love the, you know, the ongoing education and the openness for all the trainers with, are with sharing so we can get better and have better outcomes.
0: Of course. So I have to ask you, what is your favorite aspect of the aesthetic industry?
1: Um, I I just love how we are able to really affect some positive changes with our patients and help them feel better about themselves and um, you know put a smile on their face and make them feel more confident. I mean, there's just nothing like that when they look in the mirror and they're like, oh. I remember that face or, you know, they're just are so happy with how they look and and what an honor and a privilege that, you know, we get to do that, that we get to be involved in that. Um, you know, I, I love before and afters. I love seeing, you know, changes and, you know, teasing out those little differences and, you know, just seeing how, People are pretty before, and they look even prettier afterwards. It's just so gratifying.
0: I totally agree. Do you have a least favorite aspect about the industry? Hmm. Um, probably
1: trying to identify challenging patients or patients who aren't going to be happy, um, whether they've got body dysmorphia or unreasonable expectations. Um, I think it's hard to do that in a, a consultation when, I mean, it's almost like dating, right? We're all putting on our, our best face and, you know, but I, I think it's so important to be real. And I, you know, I'm, I don't know, maybe some patients are just, if they're shopping around for the, you know, one person who do, will do what they ask or if they really don't see themselves the way other people see them. Um, It's for me, the challenging part is, is identifying them before you go down that road and have somebody who's unhappy or um, you know, they feel like you didn't give them what you wanted where you did your best. I mean, I feel like we, all are in this industry because we want to make people happy. Nobody goes into aesthetics to mess people up. And so if you have an unhappy patient, I think we all take that personally. We we all feel like you know, we we can be so down on ourselves if somebody's unhappy, but you know, the longer I've been in the the industry, the more I realize we even if you're a pleaser or people pleaser, you can't make everyone happy. And it's just not possible. And the sooner you realize that you can't, the more freeing it is, and you can tell people no, and, you know, there'll be other patients, you know, there, if you do it in, in a, in such a way that they are not offended, they'll, you know, possibly even continue to refer people to you. But I, I think it's just all about, you know, tact and kindness and um, saying it in such a way that, they don't feel offended, but that just, that's probably not the best fit or, or that's not something that you're comfortable doing.
0: For sure. I think that that's great advice. I think that I, especially being someone newer in the industry and um, yeah, Melissa really does stress, you know, if you see those red flags or if you feel like it's not a good fit, you need to, you know, be the provider in that situation and take control and um, you know, it's better in the long run not to treat.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because it's, it's not like a restaurant where you go and order what you want. You know, you're the provider and you want to do the right thing, but sometimes the patient doesn't always know what's the right thing or what's the right thing for them. And so, yeah, identifying that from the beginning is, is so important and it'll just save you so much heartache in the future
0: so any tips for um you know the newer injector that's still trying to you know hone in and refine their consultation skills just because that in itself is you know an art and it takes a lot of knowledge and a lot of grace as you're saying and you know you're telling people what they potentially need to do with their faces it's not a necessarily easy conversation Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm
1: Yeah, it it can be hard, especially, you know, somebody's coming in for your opinion and you don't want to just go and say, well, you've got bags and sagging and, you know, you don't want them to feel worse about themselves. But I I feel like my role is more like an educator and I treat a consultation as kind of like a fact-finding Uh, situation for the patient. So they're coming to me and asking what their options are. And I just do my best to tell them to my knowledge what the options are, even if that's doing nothing or even if it's surgery. And so I do frequently recommend surgery or I'll say, you know, that's going to be your best option is, you know, a facelift or a brow lift or a blepharoplasty or something um, but then I'll say, you know, if that's something you're not comfortable with, or you don't want to do that right now, then these are your other options. And I, I just approach it from a top down perspective. So I'll start on their forehead. I'll break it down into thirds and I'll explain what I'm seeing and, um, what happens as we're aging bone loss and volume loss. Um, I'll point out a nice feature because everybody has a pretty feature, whether it's their skin or their eyes or their hair or something, you don't want to just go and talk about a bunch of negatives. I like to bring up some positives too. And, you know, then we just go down temples and cheeks and jawline and tear trough. And, um, that's just my approach to it. And it's kind of evolved a little bit over the years. and, And I feel as, um, I've been in this industry longer, I do feel more comfortable in saying no to certain things as well, where as a, a newer injector, I, I wouldn't, I would just, you know, take everybody on, not that I thought I could, you know, fix everything. But um, that's how we learn, you know, we learn by mistakes. And even now, if I get a patient in, and they saw another injector, and if they weren't happy with their work, I, I encourage them to go back to their injector, because that's how we learn. And, and I know I'm not perfect and I'm make mistakes. And if my patient goes to another local injector, you know, they probably know about it. Or if, but if the patient comes back to me, then it gives me the chance to correct it. And then I learn in the process too. So I think it's just a lot of being open and, you know, realize that we're continuously learning, um, a patient asked me the other day, um, you know, where did you get your training? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm still training. I mean, to this day, I'm always learning, whether it's going to a conference or online or, you know, talking to colleagues on, on social media. I'm I'm still constantly learning because this field is always evolving.
0: I 100% agree with you on the fact that if, you know, if they're a good injector, they're Definitely have the patient go back and, you know, go to where they had that work done just because if they're a good injector. They're going to make it right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love the aspect about how it is a learning experience. We all do make mistakes and we're all constantly learning in this field.
1: Right, right. And if you're not, then that's the time you need to hang it up because
0: that's a <laughs> <to become> dangerous. <laughs> right. So in terms of, you know, trying to find trainings, um, since you have been in the industry so long, how, like, I guess, what is your criteria for finding a training, um, after being so advanced within the field? Um,
1: yeah, you know, I, I tend to do more niche trainings now, um, I did um, Arthur Swift and Sebastian Codifana last year, and that was great. It was a two-day, really intensive cadaver lab. Oh, well, I thought that was amazing. Um, ultrasound, yeah. So I tend to do these more focal trainings now. Um, uh, you know, ultrasound training, cadaver labs. Um, I'd really like to go overseas. And, you know, to the UK and train with some injectors over there, but more individualized trainings as opposed to, you know, just big conferences where you just listen to lectures, because while that's important and it's helpful for me, it's, it's the more hands on that I'm really going to learn and, you know, pick up new techniques and, and tips for, you know, what, what I'm doing every day.
0: I bet that training was amazing that you went to last year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was, it was really good. I, I wish it was like two more days. We could just, you know, soak up more of their brain because they are just, you know, incredible teachers and um, just a wealth of, of knowledge. It was, it was fantastic.
0: Well, I'm very jealous. <laughs> do, <laughs> do you feel like it, within the industry, there's kind of a hierarchy of, you know, between RN injectors and PA injectors and the injectors who are MDs and they are injecting, are you seeing, I guess, kind of a divide or a difference or are you seeing majority collaboration and it doesn't really matter what you have as a degree?
1: Yeah. I, I really don't see much divide. Like, you know, I started my Instagram about four years ago and, and I was kind of bracing for that. Like you know, the dermatologists and plastic surgeons or physician injectors, or, you know, where am I going to fit in with the nurse injectors? And, and then the more I was in it, it's like, eh, we're all doing the same thing. You know, we're all learning at the same rate. It's, it's not like there's, you know, a residency for injectors, you know, in medical school. (laughs) it's we're all basically learning the same techniques and the same anatomy at the same time or you know wherever on that timeline you are um so i was you know pleasantly surprised that i really didn't see much of that i mean there's little ones you know here and there but you know we just kind of ignore those but i think for the (laughs) most part it's it's very collegial and um at least you know everyone that i've come into contact with has been you know, very open to sharing and, you know, they don't feel like they're better because of whatever degree or letters that they have after their name. So, I mean, I love that. And I I think that's the nice thing about social media is you can set up your circles the way you want them to. So you put people in your circles that are, you know, encouraging and, you know, or similar in your tastes and and practice and um, who are, you know, just encouraging and, and good friends and you do find you know friends along the way and injector friends because we you know run into each other at meetings and you want to talk to a lot of um, the same people and then you develop this relationship outside of just injecting you know you actually do become friends and that's it's really nice because I think when you're practicing you know I'm in private practice in a large dermatology group and there's seven other providers, but we're all busy and we don't get a lot of time to just chat back and forth on, you know, well, what would you do in this scenario? Or, you know, we have some, but it's, it's, it's not as much as, okay, well now I'm home, you know, in the evening and I can, you know, log in or, you know, get in my group text and, you know, ask about what would you do with this patient? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a little bit easier to do that on your own time, but, um, I, I, I love that aspect of social media. That's, that's been huge for me.
0: Well, that's awesome. I'm sure that your, um, business and kind of everything within the aesthetic industry has changed since social media has come about. And since you mm-hmm. started that Instagram, mm-hmm. But it's, i like the positive aspect that, you know, you're making that collaboration and that friendship that is helpful in your business, but also, you know, someone to hang out with in, in the long run as a friend.
1: Right. Right. Because these are people that we're going to be, you know, quote unquote, working with for years to come, you know, as long as we're in the industry.
0: So I have to ask you, have you experienced burnout being in the industry as long as you have? Mm, I, I really
1: haven't. Um, I mean, occasionally I need a vacation, but it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't everybody. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I really haven't, um, but I do. I structure my schedule in such a way that I have downtime, I have family time. Um, and, and to me, that's super important. I could work six days a week, 10 hours a day, and see probably everybody on my wait list. But. Um, to me, I mean, there's only one of me, right? And if I'm burned out and unhappy, I'm not going to be a great provider for the people who do want to come see me. So I'm, I'm protective of that time. Um, so I work four days a week. I work during the hours that my kids are in school and then I leave at three and I go pick them up and then I start that job, which is mom, <laughs> and then somewhere in there, I do my third job, which is social media.
0: Oh, it's my a whole job did. in itself, of course. But, yeah, one hundred percent
1: agree. It really is. It really is. Um, and my husband's in there too, so he, that's kind of family. Um, so it's that's that was always really important to me is to you know be able to be a mom and to be a wife and to have a satisfying career. And, um, you know, it's just all about finding that balance, right? It's always the work life balance that we're, we're looking for. And, um, I mean, and for me, this is what works for me. It may be different for other people, but it's worked for me to where I, I really don't feel burnout. I mean, even during the, you know, the busy season, quote unquote, busy season at the end of the year, when everybody wants to get everything done and, you know, we, we tend to work more hours, um you know, I'm still protective over that time. And, you know, this is when I'm available. So that, that helps for me.
0: I love that you've set boundaries and that you really prioritize not just your job. Um, I love that this industry gives you that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have kids yet, but that's kind of my hope as well as to, you know, be able to work when they're in school and then, you know, be able to do the other things with them and not miss out. So that's right. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Because,
1: you know we're not saving lives here so we you don't we don't have to work 24 hour shifts and things like that you know right we, right we can be reasonable with this you know aesthetics is fun but um i don't think you have to kill yourself to do this because you know again at the end of the day you have to take care of you and if you're unhappy or burnt out or you know you're just frazzled you're not going to be able to think uh, as clearly for your patient. And, and ultimately that's, you know, what we're here for and that's what we want to do. So, yeah, I think it's important to protect those boundaries and do what's best for you. And, and again, it may look different for everybody, but um, that's just what works for me.
0: Well, I love that. I love that you actually haven't even experienced burnout because you've set those boundaries for yourself. Um, so that's really great to hear. Yeah. I did want to uh, congratulate you guys on the fact that you guys are no longer considered physician assistants. You guys okay. are now physician associates. That's so um, yeah. Yes. Was that yeah. exciting, a long time it, coming, it or was, I guess kind yeah. of your thoughts?
1: It, it was a long time coming. You know, we originally started when the profession was founded um, almost 60 years ago. We were in several of the programs. There were physician associates, and then there was some political stuff that happened. And then, so then we were re- renamed assistants. But, um, you know, it, it's that title is just so nondescriptive for what we do. And, you know, even to this day, people, I get an email the other day and they're like, I'd like to speak to your doctor. I'm like, I'm a full-on medical provider. Why are you asking me <laughs> email directly? You know, it's like the right. assistant title is such a misnomer and so not descriptive of what we do. So, you know, fortunately we're gonna have to wait till all the States roll it out. And then one by one, it'll, you know, become more consistent, but yeah, officially it's a physician associate. I think it'll be helpful. um, You know, because even if we're trying to, you know, pass laws where, um, you know, to not just expand our scope, but to, practice at the full extent of our ability, lawmakers see assistant and they're like, well, an assistant can't run a practice, but PAs run practices all the time. But right. they don't understand that we are trained to practice medicine, that we can prescribe medications, that we order or interpret lab tests. You know, We are trained in medical school, but they, they see the assistant and think, well, that just, that can't that can't work. And so it's really inhibited uh, our growth. And so I think just that tiny thing of changing our title will, will help in um, there's this thing called optimal team practice that PAs are, are pushing for right now. And where we still want to work as a team, we still want to work with physicians. We don't want to go out and practice on our own but just to remove the barriers that are preventing us from providing care
0: yes i agree that's it sounds like there's still a lot to work on that end you know to kind of really get to where pas get kind of the recognition that they deserve but that's exciting that it's moving towards that direction it's coming yeah it's coming very exciting so, um, in terms of, you know, for my followers to kind of find you on Instagram and uh find your place of practice, where would that be? Um, so my Instagram handle is
1: April Harrison Derm PA and there's an underscore between each word, but you can just put April Harrison and I'll come up. Um I have an Instagram page, and it has my bio and practice info there. And then I also post to my Facebook page too. Instagram's more active, it seems. I think people are more interested mm-hmm. in commenting there than Facebook. But you can find me on both. And then uh, my practice is uh, SBA Dermatology. It's in Houston. Um, it's also uh, called Suzanne Bruce and Associates Dermatology, but we're transitioning to SBA Dermatology. Um, so there's, they have their Instagram page. I have my Instagram page. Um, a lot of the providers have an Instagram page as well. Um, but yeah, check me out on Insta and be happy to have you follow along.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, April, for coming on the podcast. Um, I think my listeners are really going to enjoy the episode. We touch well, on a few different things. You're yeah. my first physician associate on the podcast, so I thought that was really exciting oh, it's funny. and exciting. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. It was
1: an honor to be here. I appreciate it. And yeah. look forward to checking it out.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again to April Harrison for coming on the podcast today. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation just, you know, about everything aesthetics as well as, you know, the role As a physician associate in comparison to, you know, some of the other injectors I've had on the podcast thus far. Um, I love your educational aspects of your Instagram feed. So, definitely go check that out, listeners. She has some great little pearls on there. Stream the podcast on my website, aestheticnursekiki.com. Also on the website, you can find um, some fun apparel. So, check that out. And finally, my personal Instagram is at aestheticnursekiki.com nurse dot kiki all right beauties have a great day bye